Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Oh, hi. Thanks for stopping by. Welcome to your favorite wrestling podcast of an indeterminate location. It's Parts Unknown. As you know by now, we're spinning back the clock to bring you a recap of every single WrestleMania that's taken place since the show of shows was born in 1985. This week, we're in the Hoosier Dome in Indianapolis for WrestleMania 8. The event went down on April 5th, 1992, before a crowd of more than 62,000, many of whom got in for free to help fill the cavernous arena. Bobby Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon had the call, and in the double main event, Randy Savage beat Ric Flair for the WWF World Heavyweight title in a barn burner and Hulk Hogan beat Sid Justice by DQ in a non-barn burner just as Sid had promised. Right, I need a panel to help talk through this extravaganza. Once again, we're without Anton Axel Tolui, who this week is working a barbed wire rope exploding C4 deathmatch in Des Moines, Iowa. In his place is a Parts Unknown original. Given that nostalgia is all the rage in 2018, we thought we'd bring him back for one last run. You might know him from The Guardian or as the man who once drunk a different beer every day for a year. It's John, the model, Ashdown. Hi there. And alongside John, she's a writer, a doctor, a main eventer and an unabashed Bret Hart fangirl is the rocket Gary Dunn hello and last but not least he does podcasts he writes stuff he's a force for good in the parts unknown universe meaning he'd never spit tobacco in someone's face that'll make sense by the end of the show it's only Carl Anker hello everyone hi indeed shall we talk about some wrestling matches that happened some time ago in Indianapolis that's a rhetorical question. Your contracts are ironclad and contain no creative freedom. <laughs> Let's start with what was billed as one of the two main events. For me, the match of the night. Macho Man Randy Savage defeats Ric Flair for the WWF World Heavyweight title. John, I loved this match. What did you think of it? Yeah, it's one of my all-time favourite matches, which I kind of had forgotten until I rewatched it. And then you watch it and Savage is so intense. The commentary is incredible kind of when they're not demanding to see, or when Bobby the Brain isn't demanding to see nude pictures of one of the participants' wives. It's just a perfectly paced match. The the crowd buy into it entirely. Um, you've got this fantastic, um, entirely uh, heel flair, which you never really get in WCW, because you notice that there's a point where um, he chops Savage, and you expect the crowd to woo in sort of unison, and there's nothing, because he's just a pure heel in uh, in WWE. Terrific finish. And it looked like, looks like the feud is going to go on. And it's a shame it doesn't, really. Carl, explain the uh, the backstory with Elizabeth and uh, how she factored into the match. Uh, the feud very much arises from Flair, allegedly, having past romantic history or relationship with Miss Elizabeth. Um, very much you mentioned Miss Elizabeth, Randy Savage will attack you. Kayfabe. No kayfabe. And that, that's where the feud span from. Uh, at the time, Mr. Perfect was injured. And when Mr. Perfect is injured, he normally works as Ric Flair's bodyguard, enforcer, best mate, um, which brings an inc- adds an extra just incredible ingredient to these matches because you've got one of the greatest promo people of all time in Ric Flair. And behind him, you have one of the best promos of that generation in Mr. Perfect. So when they are going at it, being evil, it is proper, we are high school jocks 
talking about this guy's girlfriend. Look at us. Aren't we terrible? Ha 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 ha. Real like, oh, you're detestable. And in, in this way that they're, so you get this modern day with heel heat where they're peels, but they're very entertaining. So you're booing them out of respect going, yes, I quite like you. So I will boo you, but I would like to cheer you. But perfect can flare. No, just the right amount of sentence. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt here. They know just how to take it from, oh, they're kind of like detestable evil to, no, you're a baron. That is gross. I want you to get beaten up. And there's a bit at the end of this match where after the result where Flair loses and Flair goes and cuts this promo about how he's going to go out and beat Savage again. And he goes, and anytime I see your old lady, I'm going to kiss her on her wet, moist lips. That is gross. That is truly disgusting. I want to never cheer you again. I just want Savage to beat you up. So they'd had um, supposed pictures of Miss Elizabeth in uh, a revealing state, which they were going to reveal had they won, but they didn't. And it was quite a typical flair match, this in some ways, Carrie, in that there was blood, there was a lot of crazy bumps. Um, but it kind of stood out to me because he looked so agile, which is not, a, in, in my head, what I associate Ric Flair with as a, a WWF fan rather than WCW, I suppose. Yeah, and I, I know exactly what you mean. Uh, Again, the, the the bleeding thing, that's such a flair thing. That's kind of another characteristic. He's so crap at it as well, isn't it? We'll get into he, that next week. He gets spotted with, he he gets spotted. with, so with, you, with, with bleeding. He gets not, seen doing this. You're not supposed to bleed at this time. It's very much a, a hard, no-blood rule. Uh, two wrestlers blade at this WrestleMania. One of them, Carrie's favourite, Bret Hart, does not get caught. The other, Ric Flair, does get caught and he's fined for it. Yeah, Bret mentions this in his book. I was going to come on to this later, but we might as well talk about it now. Um he talk, Brett talks about him blading in, in his book. <laughs> he says, <laughs> this is such a gross sentence, but I'm going to read it anyway. Uh, he, his match with Roddy Piper. Roddy blindsided me with a fist to the face and I crumpled to the mat, covering up to spit the blade out of my mouth. I cut a one-inch slice over my right eyebrow, deep enough to convince all the boys afterwards that it was the real deal. Little did we know, Flair and Randy planned to get juice too. Flair was so obvious as he cut himself repeatedly that he came back with several long bloody cat scratches <laughs> on his forehead and an angry Vince fined them both $500. Um Wrestling's weird, isn't it? It really is. I mean, I, you know, I, I love that. He's basically saying, you know, Flair bladed and was bad at it, so that's why he got fined. If he'd been better, like Brett, then, then he wouldn't have been. But the, yeah, the idea of the of cat scratches, you can just kind of imagine that, and the blade in the mouth as well. That's so dangerous. It that's really is, so isn't dangerous. It? Of all the things in wrestling that we've talked about that are incredibly dangerous and stupid, having a razor blade in your mouth is, is pretty much up there, isn't it? <laughs> All right, so the other main event was rubbish, and that's no surprise given it pitted Hulk Hogan against Sid Justice. Uh, It went on last, despite the fact this wasn't for the title, and Hogan had already been named as the number one contender. Um, Sid had turned on Hogan in the build, which featured the usual shouty, nonsensical promos from the now-heeled Justice, including the aforementioned one where he told us the match would not be a barn burner. Um, He was right... Um, Carl, another crappy, convoluted finish, but this to me seemed like... Are you just laughing at Sid? Yes! <laughs> I'm so... Gary, Matt Stryker. <laughs> That's me with Sid Justice. He, Every time. But but this is like Vince McMahon's wrestling ideology in microcosm, isn't it? Get the two biggest blokes that you can find, and then, I don't know, maybe it'll be all right, but they're really big. But one of them's laughable... One of them's old and racist. 
Why Disco on last? Uh, because it's Hulk Hogan. It's Hulk Hogan. It's the early 90s. And, and you, Vincent Mann likes to get as much as he can from his most bankable star. Um, shall we talk about the botched finish? Mm. Oh, boy. Um, so the planned finish for this match. So a lot of Hulk Hogan's WrestleMania matches were rehearsed indoors, behind closed doors, because Hulk Hogan is a botch prone wrestler because he never truly learned the craft because he's a jerk um and, and the planned finish was uh hulk hogan was going to go into his hulking up do the u hit justice with the leg drop and upon doing that papa shango would appear and cause some shenanigans beat up hulk hogan with Sid justice and then ultimate warrior would jump in and make the save now when you watch the match hulk hogan hits the leg stands up and Papa Shango is nowhere to be found. <laughs> and it takes another 30 seconds for everyone going, what's going on? There's like a little bit where they're throwing punches and kickers. And Papa Shango very like lightly jogs down the aisle. <laughs> and his face is a, oh my God, I'm in so much trouble. <laughs> then it goes into the finish. Ultimate Rory makes the save. Then you get into the hot dogging and posing and whatnot. I can only imagine how much trouble Papa Shango got, got into. But... Oh, I laughed. How I laughed and laughed he's, and he's laughed. So, he's so late, the bell rings before he gets to yeah, the ring. Yeah. <laughs> and then Monsoon set, lies afterwards and says it was a DQ because of Papa Shango, when clearly it can't be unless just coming through the curtain was, oh. it was the DQ. And it means that Sid kicks out of the leg drop in a WrestleMania main event. Yeah. Because he has to. It's. I think it's one of the first notable kickouts of a leg drop outside of Ultimate Warrior. It. <laughs> Which oh god, Sid Justice! <laughs> yeah, he's been taking indie bookings off that for the past twenty years on that basis. They they kind of build this John as Hogan's farewell. What was going on was that he took a leave of absence because the steroid trial was coming up, and um, Sid would quit a couple of months later after failing a drugs test. The match was terrible. The people behind it are pretty terrible. Um, it's kind of a shame that such a great WrestleMania was ended by by this nonsense. Yeah, it's a real it's a real bum note, isn't it? To uh... To end on. Um, what the true main event was planned. So apparently was this was meant to, WrestleMania 8 was meant to be Ric Flair versus Hulk Hogan. They had trialled it in a number of house shows and it wasn't drawing. For Ric Flair says, I don't know why it didn't draw. Maybe because we gave away on too many house shows. Hulk Hogan says it didn't draw because Ric Flair didn't want to do the job. <laughs> Ric Flair says, of course I'm not going to do the job to Hulk Hogan because Hulk Hogan's not going to do the job back to me. You've got two known liars going, I don't know why this thing didn't happen. <laughs> I don't know, but what we do have is just comedy. <laughs> and the good thing, I suppose the good thing in a way is that if we'd had that, it would have deprived of us a, of a good Flair match and we'd have got a Flair Hogan match where you could basically do almost the same thing, but instead of uh, Hogan shaking and doing his Hulk up after a powerbomb, he does it sort of from the figure four or whatever. Yeah. Like It would just ruin a perfectly decent, um, perfectly decent Flair match. I mean, to be fair, the crowd were quite into it, um, I thought. Although... You can't. I don't know if we can trust the audio at this point in time because there's that rumble finish where they have two different audios and in the original, like the crowd are cheering when Sid pulls Hogan out of the rumble, and the sort of dubbed uh, footage that they showed later was uh, the crowd cheering, uh, cheering Hulk. Um, so you never quite know if uh, if you can trust uh, what you're hearing in these uh, in this sort of era, unfortunately. So tell us about how how we got to this stage with these two then, John. There was um, there was a disagreement at the Royal Rumble. Yeah, so at the Rumble, you get down to the the final four. Hogan's on the ropes, in danger of getting thrown out. Sid comes up from behind and makes sure he does get thrown out. 
um, Hogan reacts <laughs> in his usual calm and uh, uh, judged manner and just yanks Sid over the top from the outside, having already been eliminated. So it's an entirely um, gittish thing to do uh, for Hogan. Um, and yet we have to have this sort of refit where uh, he stays as the babyface and Sid's the heel, obviously. What a douchebag. Next, I want to talk about the Intercontinental title match, which saw Bret Hart defeat Rowdy Roddy Piper to become the new champ. Um, Carrie, you love these two. The floor is yours. I do. I love both of these two. Um, I think my favourite bit of this match actually isn't even a Bret bit. It's the bit where Roddy changes his mind about using the ring bell. I love that kind of stuff just because WWE baby faces have so typically been absolute bell ends of people pun intended and they do that's a very good pun i just got it (laughs) (laughs) and they do lots of kind of snidey sneak attacks and i love when you can actually see the thought processes that they're using in the ring and Sami Zayn did something similar in nxt when he had the chance to win the nxt belt against neville i think it was and by using the belt and you could see whether you know i want to win this belt but I don't want to win it that way. I want to win it the noble way. And you had the same thing here with Roddy Piper. And it's something you wouldn't expect from him. And it's a, it's actually really moving for me. I don't know whether that sounds really daft, but I actually felt quite emotional about it. I thought it was fant- this is a fantastic match. I love it. John, we've as we've been spinning back, I've been wondering why Carrie's been such a big Roddy Piper exponent because he's quite homophobic and shouts a lot and stuff. But the pre-match interview between the two with me and Gene here I, I, all of a sudden I got it. it it just like charisma out the wazoo but also it was really making me want to see them have the match which is kind of the point <laughs> yeah it has to be one of his his best promos he sort of throws it back to uh, uh, his days training with the hearts basically and talking about Brett um, being in his diapers and what have you and uh, just making jokes at Brett's expense so Brett who still it wasn't a great promo at that point just has to sort of stand there and look angry for the most part. Yeah, no, like it's a, it's a terrific promo. It's Piper's. It's one of his best best moments at WrestleMania as well. Although obviously we're going to see him do do more kind of noticeable things further back. Yeah, I, and I can watch Brett do anything in the ring for as long as you want me to. Carl, spectacular finish to this match, which was very out of style at the time. Brett turning a sleeper into something off the turnbuckle pinning combination, just like, wow, this is not wrestling in 1990, whatever. It's not. It, it's space wrestling. Uh, it, it is something that wouldn't look ahead of its time in to the year 2000. Um, I did not understand why people tell me Brett Hart's the greatest wrestler of all time. It's Gorilla Monsoon. This is not... Now I'm further away from Bret Hart Would you being, stop? Yeah. Now we're further away from Bret Hart being jaded and annoyed at Shawn Michaels. And now there is no Jerry Lawler constantly making comments about Bret Hart's mum and his dad and being old and how he's a baby and needs to be beaten up. And you have Gorilla Monsoon going, look at the young athlete Bret Hart. Look at Bret Hart. Oh my God. Look at his straight right hands. Oh my God. Look how he's reversed that move. Look at what Bret Hart is doing. When you've got someone in commentary who can call the moves and can say this person is impressive because of X, Y, Z, you get to pay attention to what Bret Hart is doing and everything he does is clean and crisp. Um, His right hands are just beautiful. When he does a right, he's got like two right hands of I'm punching you, I'm punching you, I'm punching you. This punch is going to send you out of the ring now. Bang. There's just an extra variance in how he moves that arm. Whoa, you really are one of the best of all time. What? What? Huh? 
Um, so I've 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 learned a lot. Bret Hart is actually amazing, and it shows the comment. It shows the difference in what happens when a wrestler is happy and enthused about what they're doing, and when they've got a commentary team that will call the matches and explain to you what's going on is very very impressive. Um, yeah, once again, Carrie, let me watch something long enough to go oh wait she was right <laughs> oh, well the doctor's in the corner beaming with pride um i'm gonna put you on the spot doctor is this and if not where does it sit on the list of all-time great brett wrestlemania matches is this his best one i wondered watching this oh that's a really interesting question um thanks yeah probably um i think because of also, I think Carl's absolutely right in the way it's set up in terms of the commentary, but also, as John was saying, that that that, that promo beforehand as well. That everything combines to make it act- an actual spectacle that you're invested in. So it's not just about what happens in the ring. I think that's really important. What Carl was saying: if you have a commentary team that's telling you this is good, you should like this, rather than undercutting it with stupid jokes all the time, it makes it mean more. And I think this is probably kind of a really good. I guess, nexus of all those things coming together and you don't get that very often. It's got a fantastic devolution. So um, Bret Hart is a wrestler and Bret Hart frequently has shown he can take on bigger guys because he's quite small. He's like, I'm going to you know, beat, attack your legs, set you up for the sharpshooter. Um, but Bret Hart frequently has problems with fighters. So this, you know, this is why the WrestleMania 13 match against Stone Cold was so interesting because he couldn't quite understand Stone called cheating to get around him. So you have this thing where Oh yeah, that's the best one, isn't it? Sorry. <laughs> you have the thing 13. In, in the reverse, in, in the reverse, where Roddy Piper is being Roddy Piper of I'm an IC champion and I'm better than you at wrestling, and he keeps wrestling Brett and going, No, no, I'm I'm older and stronger than you, and oh wait, this guy can out wrestle me, and then Roddy starts getting scrappy, starts using the Roddy Piper, I actually came from the territory, I'm gonna beat you up. And that's when he starts evening up, and that's when Brett starts struggling. So to, for Brett to win the match using a sublime wrestling move, that is why it means so much when Roddy gives Brett the title at the end. That is Roddy going, you actually are just better than me at everything. Okay, so my minor criticism of this, John, last word to you, is is Piper a bit too happy to have lost at the end when he hands the belt over? No, I don't think so, because they've told that story during the match of Piper... It's, a, it's face versus face, but um, Piper takes sort of the nominal heel roll, but goes just far enough to not tip it over the edge. And yeah, it's, it's exactly like Carl says. It's like you get to the point where he's decided not to become the bad guy. And so at the end, you know, they can come together and he can hand over the belt. It's uh, Yeah, it's, it's terrific. OK, that's the big three matches taken care of. Stick around there. There's still plenty more to go at on a stack card. We'll be doing just that next. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to Parts Unknown, the show that kindly asks that you rate, review, share, subscribe, all the stuff that helps us keep bringing you new episodes. We, well, I at least do read the reviews you leave us and don't say we don't listen. Tizzle underscore B, I'm talking to you, brother. John Ashdown is here. He's bringing back that casual and relaxed approach you enjoyed so much in the first incarceration of this show. Hopefully, Wilco691 will also be back on board after labelling us a podcast ruined. Well, Wilco, both producer Ben and John are in the studio today, so hopefully some of the the charm of the original so far missing in the reboot will be rediscovered. <laughs> right, back to WrestleMania 8. Uh, one of our listeners, Ollie, got in touch. He was at the Hoosier Dome. I think the best nugget he offered was that before the show, there was a fancy dress competition at a mall hosted by Sean Mooney with Paul Bearer and the Bushwhackers as judges. So, Carl, I want you as Paul Ellering next week and John and Carrie, Hawk and Animal, respectively. <laughs> I think that would be good. Um, now, Mania kicked off with Shawn Michaels beating El Matador Tito Santana, the original Shawn Michaels music sung by Sherry. Um, if this isn't everyone's mania moment, then I, I lose my smile. Um, this was where the card, even though it involves somebody who is wrestling in 2018, which is odd, this is where it really felt to me like we were in the past more than, you know, last week's show, more than any other point. We've got the referee's bold job haircut, which I just couldn't take my eyes off, and Gorilla Monsoon telling us to get a pen and paper ready because he's going to tell us the number for the superstar hotline. Just really sweet. Um, Sean, still way ahead of his time here, Carl, in terms of his ring style. It kind of stuck out a lot. So he opens three WrestleManias in a row. Clearly he has a warm-the-crowd-up thing. And his moveset is uncommon for this time and I can see why now I've admitted Bret Hart is amazing and fantastic and now I'm going wait was Sean ever that good? I went, oh and I watched that I went no actually no he was, he was still also good he's just also a- just because he's a prat doesn't mean he's not a good wrestler that's, yes. that's important yes. to remember yes very much so <laughs> uh, Tito it, again th- when you say it's the past yeah I'm watching a, a, a bullfighter wrestle <laughs> Uh, and the opening of WrestleMania, when you consider Los Matadores weren't even televised on like the YouTube cut of an episode of Raw now. It, the gimmick use changes rapidly once you get past 1995. Anyone got anything to say about El Matador Tito Santana? My favourite bit uh, of this match, I think it's, um, I think it's um, the brain on commentary. And Reba McIntyre had sung... Um, what was it? Was it America the Beautiful or Star that Spangled Banner? They can't decide which song they want. But um, he's making a joke about Ariba and Reba because it's a, a matador. And I thought that was really funny. <laughs> Bobby, Bobby Heenan in the commentary is incredible. All the way through this event. This match, he says at one point, um, he, sa- he, sa- he claims that he's pinned people with a side headlock. And then he once had a guy give up during instructions. During the <laughs> <laughs> um, Tito, though, if, you, if you're not. Mad keen on him. Um, it's bad news because he's he's around for every WrestleMania, back to the first one. In fact, he's spoiler alert: first match of the first WrestleMania. Wow, facts. That's the kind of thing that uh, the old listeners were <laughs> were missing. He lived in such a relaxed and calm way, I think as well. <laughs> um, that was the first match. The second match on the card was a dud, but the pre-match promo that preceded it was not. I'm talking, Carrie, about Jake the Snake Roberts, and if you look up charisma in the dictionary damn it if there's not a picture of this man because his promos 
They're like spellbinding. You're just drawn into the screen. Spellbinding. That is such a good word. And that is just kind of how I felt about this promo. I wasn't even listening so much to what he was saying. It's the way he's saying it. I'm just like going, yeah, okay. I'll do okay, whatever you whatever tell you me. Whatever you say, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's, yeah. I, I love Jake the Snake. It's incredible. Um, the match, John, was a bit rubbish there, wasn't it? Two DDTs versus one Tombstone. The pin coming like 30 seconds later sort of buried Jake a bit. Yeah. Um, I think this is like one of the most disappointing uh, matches of Undertaker's sort of early WrestleMania run. Just because you expect something out of it. You know, you don't really expect much out of Giant Gonzalez, really. You know, you don't expect a great deal out of an ageing King Kong Bundy. Um, but, you know, Jake Snake against Taker, you know, what a match. And it's really, really poor. Um, this is the, the match that beforehand Jake had basically asked for his release um, and held Vince up and said he wouldn't wrestle unless, it, unless he got it. Um, so he knows he's on, on his way out. And sort of Taker's been turned face not all that long beforehand. So, yeah, it's a bit of a, bit of a mess in that finish. The tombstone outside, kind of, yeah, it's really disappointing. Another entry, Carl, in the um, disappointing series of Undertaker at WrestleMania matches, which would be a good name for the DVD, I suppose. I disagree. I really like this. I, I thought this was... I said in the Kane match from WrestleMania 14, I believe, when Undertaker versus Kane, I said this will probably be Undertaker's last good, interesting match. I really, really enjoyed this one. As I'm a millennial and... I always second screen, so very often I'm watching TV and on my phone at the same time. When Jake begun his promo, I shake the snake, put my phone down, and then again, you know, I should probably tweet. And then Jake the snake was doing (laughs) things in the ring, and I went, oh yeah, Jake the snake, put my phone down again. This is a really interesting match, because Jake the snake is out undertakering on The Undertaker. So in terms of mysticism and, are you a real man, or are you some sort of cosmic force from another dimension? Jake the Snake is better at that than The Undertaker. Um, and that starts right off from the promo. So in an age where everyone's... Jake the Snake is whispering. And that stands out immediately. Um, the bit in the promo video where he's describing how he managed to get The Undertaker and then ddt Paul Bearer. And he goes, there you are. Short ride. Bumpy trip. And then keeps done his promo. You can ch- he's changed sentence structure because every promo is you're gonna do this and do this and do this, and that's why I'm gonna beat you. Whereas Jake the Snake's going four word sentences, five word sentences, one word sentence, this one, um, and in the ring at the same time he's doing that thing that late stage Taker does a lot, where he's like, I'm gonna hit you. Oh, I'm not gonna hit you. I'm just I'm just messing with you. I'm joshing with you. I'm doing certain things. I greatly enjoyed this match, and then I started thinking why. Now, I know why Jake the Snake doesn't go off and have the career at The Undertaker has because of Jake the Snake's personal issues. But in terms of any mystical, otherworldly thing, why did Jake the Snake not have more of that? Why was he not the higher power? I know why he's not the higher power. But Jake the Snake turned out to be the higher power instead of Vince McMahon would have been an incredible plot. Okay, here's, here's another why lament. Why didn't they get Jake Roberts to sit down with Bray Wyatt a couple of years ago and say, hey... You know, if you took like 60% out of the stuff you said in your promos and just changed your inflection a bit, you could be like me. Yeah. Jake Snake should be, if if he wants it and if he can, if it's safe for him to, to be around wrestling in the way that we think it is, um, he should be in the performance center doing just promos. Because Jake the Snake can read the phone book and I'll put my phone down from Twitter and go, yes, yes, tell me more. 
I think that's really interesting. That's two weeks you've kind of been to- two consecutive weeks you've talked about the delivery of promos, and you can see why kind of in back in the day you have wrestlers coming from the territories and they're used to house shows and that's why they shout everything. They got they used to be having to be heard over a crowd, and we're starting to see at this point where people are actually kind of getting used to delivering for television and being able to act and use your voice differently. And the contrast between someone like Jake the Snake and Ted DiBiase, like you said last week, and the rest of them who are doing the really loud, shouty ones, it's it's huge here. Right, let's um, spin through some other stuff that happened on the cards. Owen Hart defeated Skinner. Skinner spat tobacco in Owen's face. He went on to be a trainer at FCW. A big boss man, Jim Duggan, Sergeant Slaughter and Virgil defeated the Mountie, the Nasty Boys and the Repo Man. Carl, were you sports entertained? Absolutely not. The Nasty nasty Boys suck. no intros, no ring intros, just the guy from Family Feud cut, cutting promos <laughs> on all the heel wrestlers. This is one of those WWF, hey, a real celebrity, let's have him rip apart our contracted performers. <laughs> Family Feud's Ray Coombs here. <laughs> I quite enjoyed him taking the mickey out of the, the Mountie. And the match was, well, it was okay, it didn't outstay its welcome. People in the crowd got to see some of the sort of more flamboyant characters on the on the card. And maybe next week, some of these the guys in that match will be in... Slightly more uh, elevated positions. It's a good tease. Relaxed. <laughs> um, Tatanka defeated Rick Martel, Carrie. We, we spoke about Tatanka. What about the model Rick Martel? He had a big badge on saying, yes, I am a model, just in case you weren't <laughs> convinced. I really like Rick Martel. I don't I know whether that, is, is that okay? Is that an okay opinion to have? Yeah. I really like him. He looks He looks amazing. Stunning. He always looks fantastic, which he's a pretty boy gimmick. But yeah, you, he looks so out of place when everyone's still kind of hokey and territorial. He looks TV ready. Yes. And he he has that extra awareness of where the cameras are and how he can tell a story by going looking at the camera just at the right moment. My favourite ever Mick Martel look is SummerSlam 92, where he dresses up in, as a Wimbledon tennis player because he's in the UK. And he's just like... <laughs> Don't know if you could wrestle or not, but he's just very pleasing to look at, isn't he? Um, the Natural Disasters, Earthquake and Typhoon, clever name for a tag team, defeated Money Inc., Erwin Arshyster and Ted DiBiase, uh, who had Jimmy Hart with them by count out. Of course, we had a very shouty pre-match promo. Uh, Earthquake and Typhoon, uh, Earthquake, a.k.a. John Tenter, died age 42 of bladder cancer in 2006, worked as Avalanche and the Shark in WCW, returned to the Fed as Golga, a member of the Oddities in the late 90s. Typhoon, a.k.a. Fred Ottman, still with us at the age of 62, Perhaps best remembered as the Shockmaster. Carl, for anybody who might not remember the Shockmaster, tell us about it and why it lives on in wrestling infamy. I have no idea. <laughs> You've not heard of the Shockmaster? <laughs> so you're the man that rules the world. They call me the Shockmaster. You've ruled the world long enough, Sid Vicious. Get ready. Come on, you want a piece of me? You want a piece of me? Come and get me. Come after me, Sid. I'm ready. John, for anyone who might not have seen it, I mean, first of all, just go and go and watch it if you haven't, because it's probably the greatest moment in wrestling history. But just talk <laughs> us through exactly what happened. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, you have to have to watch it. But Sting and Sting and Davy Boy Smith have got to introduce a new surprise tag team partner for their uh, for their War Games match. Um, Sid comes out and shouts a lot. 
Uh, Ric Flair's there as well. And here comes the Shockmaster. And through a paper sort of screen, Fred Ottman falls <laughs> while wearing a sparkly um, Stormtrooper mask. <laughs> And if you listen very carefully, you can hear the British Bulldog saying, he fell on his fucking ass as he comes in, just to make it even more panto. Um, oh, it was glorious. Um, mania moments. I'm going to go for Sean singing his own music this week. Carrie? Um, I'm going to go with Lex Luger's weird bodybuilding promo in which Bobby Heenan urges him to take his clothes off. <laughs> Strong. John? I have exactly the same. My moment is Lex Luger drinks milk. <laughs> Carl, you liked that as well, didn't you? It, it was oddly captivating. Um, my moment is uh, Jake the Snake's promo to- after he gives the DDT to Paul Bearer. Short ride, bumpy trip. Nice. Uh, what's your Twitter handle, Carl? Anchorman616. And John? At John underscore Rationale. Carrie? At Carrie Sparkle. I am at Matt Davis Adams. We are at the PU Podcast. Next week, it's Superstars and Stripes Forever as we head to Los Angeles for WrestleMania 7. A mammoth 14-match card is headlined by Hulk Hogan versus a heel Sergeant Slaughter. We'll chat about a 20-minute Ultimate Warrior match. Yay. And for the first time in this series, discuss Bret Hart, tag team wrestler. That's all to come. Until next time, though, I've been Matt Davis Adams. You've been in Parts Unknown. The Parts Unknown Wrestling Podcast is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddyneesmedia.com.